this scripture is reading this morning, it comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 144. Scripture is going to be 10 through 15. If you like to read along, it's, you'll find it in uh, your pew Bibles on page 557. The scripture reads, The one who gives salvation to king, who delivers David his servant from the deadly word sword, rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speak with lying words, and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood, that our sons may be as plants grown up in, up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars, scriptured in the palace, a sculpture in the palace down, that burns, that our burns uh, be full, supplying all kinds of produce, that our sheep may bring four thousand and ten thousand in our fields that our oxen may be well lading, and that there's no breaking in or breaking out, that there is no outcry in our streets. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people who are God the Lord. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're our guest this morning, uh, we welcome you again. It, it encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is an exciting time. This summer has been a wonderful blessing from God to us in many, many ways. And tomorrow morning, we'll begin Vacation Bible School and have hundreds of children to come in and the opportunity to teach them about God, a God that loves them dearly, and of God's people that loves them dearly and wants them to grow closer to God. Uh, it gives us opportunity to let them and their families know that they are very welcomed here. Keep in mind, Thursday evening will be a, uh, a closing out type uh, time with, with our Vacation Bible School. And always a lot of the parents from the community come and be with their children that night. And so we want to encourage you, even if you do not have children, to come back Thursday night just to give you the opportunity to visit from those in the community that have interest in us. And it's a, it's a wonderful time to get to know others in the community. And so be sure and, and plan on that. Also, uh, because of that event, there have already been several juice boxes brought in, and that's wonderful. But because of the Thursday evening, uh, we'll need even a few more. And so if, if you can, uh, tonight or tomorrow, drop off some more juice boxes, that would be very, very helpful. And then also, if you would be able to drive uh, vans to shuttle junior high and high school students from here to Charlie Daniels Park, that is at the community center is where the junior high and high school vacation Bible school is held. Usually there's about 100 that are involved in that, and about half or more of them uh, we transport back and forth each day. And so if from about 8.45 to 9.15, about 8.45 to 9.15, 
any of those mornings, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, if you can do all of those, great. We need two drivers each morning. If you can only do one of those mornings, if you will, just uh, jot it down on a piece of paper and, and put your phone number on that, and I'll be out in the foyer after services, and, and if you will, just hand me that and let me know uh, what days that you would be able to drive uh, the 15-passenger van. That would be very, very helpful. It's exciting to think that Vacation Bible School is here. A lot of people have already been working hard. A lot of plans have been made. A lot have already read. Registered. You can go online and register at mountjuliet.org, mountjuliet.org, if you've not yet registered. Be sure and be praying, be sure and be inviting, and be sure and be involved in every way that you can. When we think about a psalm, that at the end of the psalm, the words are, happy are the people who are in such a state. Are you happy this morning? If you are, you must be in at least some sort of the state that the psalmist was writing about. And if you're not happy this morning, what is it that could be changed in your life so that you could have that deep inner joy? Here when he writes about happiness, he's not talking about that emotion of laughter. He's talking about that peace that's found deep within us. And it's interesting as we begin in verse 10 and go down through verse 15, there are at least three things that stand out that produce this kind of happiness. It's when a nation or a community has security from its enemies. It's when families have joy from their children. And it's when businesses prosper being able to accomplish what they were set up to do in the first place, make a profit. Now someone says, That's interesting. I've never really thought about especially national security and prospering businesses being a part of God's plan. Absolutely, that's a part of God's plan. Why do you think America has prospered for over 200 years? Because America as a whole has realized that the Almighty God was the Creator. Mentioned in the Declaration of Independence several times, identified as the Creator and the one who has blessed us with our freedom. Friends, any time nations stop identifying God as the creator and the God of their nation, it's only a matter of time before they no longer have national security. God stops protecting the borders and those people will not say, we are in such a happy state right now. The same thing with businesses. When individuals conduct their business in ways that's unethical, ways that are unhealthy toward business. Someone says, well, what is the right way to conduct business? Follow God's guidelines. The Christian principles aren't only a way to live on this earth as individuals, but it is a way for businesses and even governments to dwell and to exist. And so here the psalmist writes, and keep in mind, you say, Can that really be that way? Here is a man that was one of the wealthiest men of his day. Here's a man that was running, if you will, a nation. Here is a man that also, and this brings us to our topic this morning, he knew what it was to have family blessings and family pains. As a matter of fact, the last part of David's life, he suffered immense grief because of the conflict that was within his sons and daughters. You remember that after his sin with Bathsheba, the promise was made from God to him that the sword would never leave his family. And it didn't. So here's a man writing, and if you will, notice verse 12 again, as he says, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, and our daughters may be as pillars sculptured 
in palace style. How is it that God wants us to see what should be the end of our children as they leave their youth? As children move into adulthood, what is it that they should have become? Isn't it interesting that he explains the young men to say, I want them to be a plant. But notice, he doesn't say here, I want them to be a young sapling. I want them to be this young little uh, springly plant. Notice instead, he says, as a plant grown up, But notice he didn't say grown up after their youth. Notice he says grown up in their youth. Are we raising children that before they cease being children, they're already rooted in spirituality? They're rooted in the knowledge of God? They're rooted in their faith? Are we growing children who spiritually are already grown up before they stop being children? That's the challenge that the psalmist speaks of here. You know, right now, if if we were going to go out to a house that's just been built and we were going to landscape that house, you know, there's really two ways that that individuals could take a choice of how to landscape that house. One is is to buy uh, very inexpensive plants because they're inexpensive because they're young. And and when they're first placed in front of the house, they do not look attractive because individuals at that point always say, hey, just give it a couple of years and that'll really, really be a nice piece of landscaping. Then there's someone else that says, I don't want to wait a couple of years. They go out and they invest quite a bit more money and they, they buy mature plants. They buy trees that are much more mature than a sapling. And so they place those bushes and those shrubs and those plants in front of that house and they come out in the yard and they put trees that are a little more mature. And you back up and you look at those two houses at the same time and there's absolutely no comparison. Why? Because it's obvious that one, those plants do not have strength. They do not have maturity. But yet the other, those plants are already strong. They're already mature. Friends, as we think about our youth here in the congregation of the Mount Juliet congregation, as you think about youth in your own family, we have to ask ourselves, how does God view our youth right now? Does God view our youth in our family or in our church family to say, oh, they're so young, their root system is so shallow. Oh, I'm just so afraid at any moment they're going to be blown off course. Or is he looking saying, now that's a great group of young people. That's a great family of young people. Their root system is deep in the Word of God. They are maturing just as they should. You know, I was trying to explain this the other day to, as as Brother Stafford North and I were visiting together, the president of the university where he works has commissioned him to write a proposal of how churches can do a better job growing ministers. And I suggested, and he was asking me what what I thought concerns were, and I didn't have to think twice about that. I've been thinking about this one for years. He said, we have a problem where we believe young people can excel in everything they set out to do except spirituality. We can take a kid, by the time he graduates from high school, he can throw a baseball and it resembles the way a professional throws it. He can set out to rebuild a computer and he can set up a computer in most of the same ways that a professional can set up a computer. 
A young lady can go out and, and she can create a style or a design of a wardrobe that, that in ways would look like what a professional would lay out. But yet why is it that we have this mindset that kids need to stay in training, training, training? Let's train them to speak. But we don't really expect them to be preaching by the time they're 17, do we? Let's train them to how to teach a Bible class. But we don't really expect them to be excellent Bible class teachers by the time they're 17, do we? Let's train them how to study the Scripture. But we don't really expect them to really know the Bible by the time they're 17, do we? We could go on and on with the examples. And friends, I ask you why. Why have we taken one of the greatest resources that God has given us and we refuse to give them the opportunities and the experiences that will allow them to be full grown in their youth? Now I'm thankful to be a part of a congregation that it appears to be very obvious by things that have been done that that tide is, is definitely not true here. But that's what we see across the board. I look forward to the time where we walk down our hallways and we have classroom after classroom that is full, filled with some of the most capable teachers and their juniors and seniors in high school. And they're studying hours every week to get their lessons up. And they know what they're teaching. They're not in training, they're teaching where pulpits across this county are filled with young men that are leading singing. And they're not training to lead singing. They are leading singing. Where pulpits are filled with young men that are preaching. And they're not training to preach. They're preaching. Friends, it's, it's not some kind of pie in the sky. What brings joy? The Lord says, happy are the people who are in such a state. When we have families and congregations that are growing young men and young women to the point that he says the young men, they're grown plants in their youth. And then notice the second example here that he lays forth for the young ladies. Notice the second half of verse 12, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured and palace style. Now, now what is a pillar? It's, isn't it interesting? We just come off this week of our young ladies going on sculpt. And it was the idea of, of sculpting them by showing them experiences and opportunities that they could be a part of in order uh, for them to be able to grow in their youth. Well, what is a pillar? A pillar is usually something that's placed on a very firm foundation. Anyone in building that's going to place a pillar will usually dig out beneath and they'll pour some concrete, they'll set some rock in place. In other words, a pillar is designed to be set in a permanent way. Now that's interesting when we think about Ephesians, the third chapter in verse 16 and 17, where he is teaching us to be rooted and grounded. What are plants? Plants are rooted. What is a pillar? A pillar is grounded. It is settled in a same place. In other words, a pillar, a big strong pillar is not going to be placed here today and tomorrow you walk by and that pillar is scooted over three feet. And you come by next year and that pillar is over here. The idea of a pillar is that it's dug out, it's fixed, it's set. And what does it do? A pillar is set to uphold 
what is above it. And so there may be a roof in place over it, and it's going to hold that roof into place. And so here, he paints a picture of young women. And he says, you want your daughters to be set in place, and you want them to be holding up. In other words, you want your daughters to be strong in spirit. And then, to show the feminine side, he says, you want them to be sculpted in palace style. You know, when you look there on the PowerPoint and, and you see those, those columns there sculpted out and, and us carvings that are most beautiful there, you know, that's, that's quite a difference in those columns. And maybe columns, if you go out into a pole barn and you look at an old pole that's been set in the ground and it may be knotted and, and, and it may still be strong and holding up, but the simple point I'm trying to make to you is the Lord here is painting a picture in our mind. And he says, this is what I want your daughters to be. I want them to be strong, but I want them to be in a palace-style carving. I want them to be elegant. I want them to be dignified. I want them to be settled and strong. Friends, what are we doing? What are we doing to grow young people so that they will have roots that are deep and plants and fruit that is mature even in their youth? What are we doing to grow young people that are settled? They're not drifting. They already know who they are and where they should be standing and that they are strong and they're holding up that, the banner, if you will, for the Lord. And in the sight of God, they're beautiful. What are we doing? Well, there are many things that we do, but isn't it wonderful that one of the things that we do is vacation Bible school? It's a way to reach out into an entire community and bring kids, including our own and so many from the community, to say, let us introduce you to a God. Let us introduce you to the Almighty God. Let us introduce you to the God that can be, bring true happiness into your life. Over the next four days, our children will be studying about under construction. As you know, we have a building project going on right now, and hopefully even by the end of this month, that construction will, will soon be wrapping up, and we'll be able to move into that and enjoy what has been under construction. Now, obviously, we know a difference that, that's very obvious when something is under construction and when something is completed. And so we think about our lives. In a sense, all of us are always under construction. All of us have things that we need to improve in our life. All of us have ways that we can grow closer and more like God every day. And so we look at our children and, and we will study with them this week some things that were under construction in the scripture. We'll study the ark. We'll study the tabernacle. We'll study the wall built around Jerusalem. And we'll study the church. All of those were under construction. And this morning, for, for just the few minutes that we have left, I'd like to invite you into the study of the first two of those, and we'll come back tonight for even more. But when we think about the ark, look back at Genesis, the seventh chapter. What is it that was under construction there, and how is it that kids and even us today can learn valuable lessons from the ark? You know, in Genesis, the sixth chapter, the wickedness of mankind was seen by God, and he decided to destroy the earth, but Noah found grace in the sight of God because he was a just man. He was perfect and he walked with the Lord. And so when we read in the seventh chapter in verse 23, <clears throat> I'd like for you to notice how 
there, there was a real difference in whether or not you were with Noah in this time. Look at the seventh chapter in 23. So he destroyed all the living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Notice this sentence. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. You know, a couple of weeks ago when we took the young men on, on Chisel, we went up to the Creation Museum that's just south of Cincinnati. And if you've never been there, it would be worth the trip for you to go there. And one of the, the real simple models, it wasn't really, the, the museum was huge and there's so many magnificent things. But even though this was such a simple model, it wasn't that big. It really, really painted a picture in your mind of how desperate the people must have been when the flood came. And so they had this, this little ark built to proportion here. Remember, the ark was 450 feet long. That's, that's long. A football, and a football field and a half in length. Now, it was only about the width from that aisle to that wall there, and the height was only about to the, the, to the ceiling, not to the very part, the topest, uh, the highest part of the ceiling, but to uh, the first part of the ceiling there. And, and to think about this, this construction of this boat, and, and who was saved? those that were with Noah. We know when he was building the ark, people didn't want to be with Noah, apparently. And when he said, I'm going to get on this ark, apparently no one else wanted to be with Noah, except for his wife, his three sons, and their wives. There were eight people that said, Noah, you've received a message from God to build an ark, to get on an ark, before the rain even started falling, to get on the ark. We trust you. We trust your God. We're going to do what you say. God closes the door. Later, the rains fall. Now, in this depiction, there were just a few mountaintops still protruding above the water. And there was this rough water, and there was that long ark setting on top of that water. And they had the tiniest figures carved. They were bloody, and you could tell they had climbed to the top of that rock. And they all were reaching toward the ark. The rocks in the back, the people were reaching forward toward the ark. The rocks in the front, the people were reaching forward. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would have been like that day to be one of those people that would have been close enough to the ark to see it rising and floating on top of the water and for you to continually run to higher ground and to higher ground and to higher ground and finally realize, I wish I was with Noah. I watched that old man build that ark for a hundred years and I thought he was crazy. Today, I wish I was with Noah. Friends, it's knowledge and faith that places us in safe places. What do we want to do with children this week? We want to introduce many of the children that come to a safe place, to the Lord's church. We want to give them truth in hopes that it will plant seeds that later on in their life will develop faith to say, I wish I was with Jesus and that their wish and their desire and their faith would be strong enough that even if their parents don't bring them growing up, that that desire would bring them back later on in life. Look, if you will, to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the Hebrew writer in the great hall of faith paints a powerful picture. <clears throat> Hebrews 11 and, 
And notice, if you will, verse 7, by faith, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. Notice we're talking about under construction. What did he do? He prepared, he made, he put an ark under construction, prepared an ark. Why? For the saving of his household. Isn't that interesting? When Genesis talks about the ark, it talks about Noah saving his family in the ark. When the Hebrew writer talks about the ark, it talks about Noah saving those with him in the ark. When Peter writes about the ark, he writes about those that were with Noah in that ark being saved. Friends, you can't study the topic of the ark in the Bible without talking about the topic of salvation. The emphasis over and over and over is, look who was saved. And notice the rest of this. Look who was lost. By which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. When we think, well, what are we wanting to build? We're wanting to build the understanding, the concept in young people's mind that there is a safe place to be. Let's go to this next slide. And and notice this. We're trying to construct youth who understand at least some kind of concept of, I want to be saved. When do children, or when, do, when, when does anybody make the decision to be saved? Someone says, well, uh, that's the beauty, that the invitation is open at all times. As long as there's breath in our body, we can decide to serve the Lord. That's a true answer. Now, let me ask you this, when do people decide? Barna Research The study goes back to 2004, but I doubt much has changed then. He says, if you line up everybody that claims to be a Christian today, that they have made a decision and acted upon that decision to become a Christian, and you line them up in a line across America, and you ask them, when were you saved? Was it before the age of 21? Three are going to step forward, one stays back. Three are going to step forward, one stays back. Three are going to step forward, one stays back. What are we saying? Three-fourths of all people that claim Christianity today said that they made the decision to become a Christian when they were under the age of 21. What does that tell us? Are we ineffective at evangelism for over the age of 21? That may be a part of what's being revealed, but I think what is even more so revealed is the reality that it is in the teenage years that we have the greatest chance of reaching people because their mind is still open and their lives are still formable. Friends, I beg you to realize that every soul that walks in this building this week is an opportunity for us to plant a seed, for us to introduce them to something that maybe they have never heard before. But how wonderful it is for us to be able to study stories like Noah and the ark and talk about salvation, not just physical salvation from a flood, but talk about spiritual things such as being saved from our sins. But then also notice here in Hebrews 11, he said there in verse 7 that uh, in so doing, in other words, when Noah got on the ark and and his sons and and their wives and, and his wife, when they got on the ark, They were condemning the world. Now, how is that? As one young man, and and the only reason I'm bringing out young man is because we have a, a couple of generations below us that strongly believe that there are no absolute truths. I'm not saying all of our young people do, but I'm saying that's a rule of thumb right now. There's no absolute truths, and because there's no absolute truth, it's absolutely wrong for you to judge anything. Just a couple of months ago in another state, I finished up speaking to a group of youth and and one young man was so angry at me 
because I taught that you can judge and know whether or not something is righteous or wrong. And in so doing, then we can make judgment toward others if we need to go and help them turn their life around. And oh, he was so mad. You can't judge. We sat down, we studied Matthew the 7th chapter together. And even after studying every phrase of verse 1 through 5 that teaches specifically that we are to judge that we are to judge sin in our own life. And when it's at cross tie in our eye, what are we to judge? We're to judge that's wrong and that it needs to be removed. And when it's removed, what are we to do? The scripture says then we can see clearly to take the speck that is out of our brother's eye. Well, how would you know the speck is there? We have to make judgment. What did Noah do? Noah got on an ark and God said he made judgment. He not only judged that it was the right thing for him to do, but what did Noah do when he got on the ark? He made the judgment for the rest of the world that the wrong thing to do was not be on the ark. Friends, do you realize when we make a stand for righteousness, we're not talking about who goes to church this morning. We're not just talking about religious habits, and those things are good. We're talking now about convictions. When you and I have faith and conviction that says... This is right. Then we are saying to not do it is wrong. We're not saying it. God's saying it and we're agreeing with him. In other words, there is an absolute truth. It was either right or wrong for Noah to build that ark. It was either right or wrong for Noah to get on that ark. Well, we know it was right. Well, what does that mean? The rest of the world was condemned by Noah's actions. In other words, Noah's voice through his action was saying, you're making a terrible mistake. You're not obeying. And literally one of the things that we want to plead with young people to understand this week and and, and throughout life is we want them to understand there are absolute truths. There are things that are true every time. And to make a stand with that is to also make a stand against other things. And that's why we think about the word sanctified. We, we think about we are being set apart, we are sanctified. But then finally notice, we want to be righteous. At the end of verse 7, he says, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. When we think about what do we want to inherit, I want to inherit the things that are designed for those who are righteous. Don't you? I do not want to inherit the things that God has designed for those who are unrighteous. I do not want to stand on the day of judgment and hear God say, depart from me and prepare for the devil and his angels. I don't want that kind of inheritance. Well, who's going to receive that? Those that have lived a life of unrighteousness. Well, what do we want? We want to make proper judgment. We believe that salvation is of the utmost importance. Tonight, we'll come back and we'll look at the other three topics But as we close this lesson, I ask you, will you be fervent in prayer for our young people and for the young people in the community that come that we can truly, truly do the things that are needed in their life to grow them up in their youth? Let's believe that what God offers is possible and let's do everything we can do to obtain it. And this morning as we think about Noah and we think about an ark under construction, and we think about the fact that all of our lives are under construction, where do we want to be when it's all said and done? We want to be safe with God. This morning, are you safe with God? The Lord has built a type of ark. 
And that type of ark we enter through the waters of baptism, which is taught in 1 Peter, the third chapter. And those who pass through those waters are, are, are offered the salvation because it's there that the Lord will wash away the guilt of our sins. Are you a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess before men? If so, why not be immersed in the Christ this morning, committed, convicted, to say, I want to stand in righteousness. I understand that there is a truth and there, there are things that are wicked and I want to stand with the truth. Maybe you evaluate your life this morning and you've been immersed in the Christ, but since that time you realize you hadn't stood in the truth and you want to come back to the Lord. There's nobody here perfect, but we can all leave here this morning forgiven. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.